to one knee beside the rubber dinghy. He took a spring knife from one pocket, feeling for the line that lashed the dinghy into place. He sawed through it, then touched the razor edge of the blade on his thumb, thinking of Jaco. One good thrust was all it would take. But even at the thought, his bowels contracted in a spasm of fear, and he hastily closed the knife, got to his feet, and waited at the rail. The launch rushed into the darkness, and the light flashed again. As Jaco cut the engine, they slowed and started to drift broadside on to the beach marked by the phosphorescence of the surf a hundred yards away. Mercier threw the anchor over as Jaco joined him. The big man heaved the dinghy into the water on his own and pulled it in by hand line. Off with you, he said impatiently. I want to get out of here. Water slopped in the bottom of the dinghy, cold and uncomfortable, as Mercier mounted the two wooden oars and pulled away. He was afraid again, as he always was these days, for the beach was unknown territory, in spite of the fact that he had visited it in identical circumstances at least half a dozen times before. But there was always the feeling that, this time, things might be different, that the police could be waiting, that he might be drifting into a five-year jail sentence. The dinghy suddenly lifted on a wave, poised for a moment, then dropped in across a line of creamy surf, sliding to a halt as she touched shingle. Mercier shipped his oars, slipped out and pulled her round, prow facing out to sea. As he straightened, a light pierced the darkness, dazzling him momentarily. He raised a hand defensively. The light was extinguished, and a calm voice said in French, "'You're late. Let's get moving.' It was the Englishman again, Rossiter. Mercier could tell by the accent, although his French was almost perfect. The only man he had ever known Jacot touch his cap to. In the darkness he was only a shadow, and so was the man with him. They spoke together briefly in English, a language Mercier did not understand. Then the other man stepped into the dinghy and crouched in the prow. Mercier followed him, unshipping the oars, and Rossiter pushed the boat out over the first wave and scrambled across the bow. Jacot was waiting at the stern rail when they reached the launch, his cigar glowing faintly in the darkness. The passenger went up first, and Rossiter followed with his suitcase. By the time Mercier had reached the deck, the Englishman and the passenger had gone below. Jacot helped him to get the dinghy over the side, left him to lash it to the deck, and went into the wheelhouse. A moment later, the engines rumbled softly and they moved out to sea. Mercier finished his task and went forward to make sure that all was secure. Rossiter had joined Jacot in the wheelhouse, and they stood together at the wheel, the Englishman's thin, ascetic face contrasting strongly with Jacot's, opposite sides of the coin. One an animal, the other a gentleman, and yet they seemed to get on with each other so well, something Mercier could never understand. As he moved past the wheelhouse, Jacot spoke in a low voice, and they both burst into laughter. Even in that they were different, the Englishman's lively chuckle mingling strangely with Jacot's throaty growl, and yet somehow they complimented each other. Mercier shuddered and went below to the galley. For most of the way the passage was surprisingly smooth, considering what the channel could be like at times, but towards dawn it started to rain. Mercier was at the wheel, and as they started the run-in to the English coast, fog rolled to meet them in a solid wall. He stamped on the deck, and after a while Jacot appeared. 
He looked terrible, eyes swollen and bloodshot from lack of sleep, face grey and spongy. Now what? Mercier nodded towards the fog. It doesn't look too good. How far out are we? Six or seven miles? Jaco nodded and pulled him out of the way. Okay, leave it to me. Rossiter appeared in the doorway. Trouble? Jaco shook his head. Nothing I can't handle. Rossiter went to the rail. He stood there, face expressionless, and yet a small muscle twitched in his right cheek, a sure sign of stress. He turned and, brushing past Mercier, went below. Mercier pulled up the collar of his reefer jacket, thrust his hands into his pockets and stood in the prow. In the grey light of early dawn, the launch looked even more decrepit than usual, and exactly what it was supposed to be, a poor man's fishing boat, lobster pot.